Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everybody, from on this very beautiful, beautiful day from Queer Love Light. This is Desiree coming to you again on this beautiful day. And I'm so excited today because I have a very, very special guest in store for all of you. So Queer Love Light is a sacred portal that I started to share spiritual musings, insights, and wisdom, and practical techniques to activate our innate self-healing power to raise our collective consciousness and make the world a better place. So today, um, our special guest is Isaiah's Queer Brown Vegan. So he is a um, amazing, awesome gay environmentalist that I think we have so much to learn from. And I've been so inspired by the work that he's doing, bringing um, education about our environmental issues around the world. So I'd love you to meet Isaiah today. And without further ado, here is our special guest. Hello, Isaiah. Hi, Desiree. It's so lovely to see you and to chat with you. I know. How are you today? I'm doing really great. I'm feeling um, very blessed um, and also very sacred right now. Oh, that's great. So I understand that you're from California in the United States, and I'm coming to you from Vancouver, Canada. I know we are causing a little bit of uh, some grief to our um, cross-border um sisters and brothers because of the wildfires <laughs> so um where are you right now are you in uh, in la or in new york i hear that in new york it's it's uh, it's quite a uh, misery there because of the smoke yeah the sun was seen as dark red but luckily i'm here in los angeles california currently so no air pollution for my lungs today but it is very unfortunate to see the planet on fire um, in the global north right now Yes, yes. I was um, I was really surprised to to see it in the news. It was actually, you know, making headlines, you know, and uh, Canada doesn't make that many headlines, especially not in U.S. media. But I saw, you know, I think in, in New York Times today. And um, so it is a very timely topic that we will be touching on today uh, from your work. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started? Like, wh why did you, you know, become interested in becoming an environmentalist? Yeah, so my journey started growing up in Los Angeles. I, my parents had immigrated from Mexico um, in the late 1980s, and they truly believed in this concept of the American dream. And of course, I think there's a lot of um, physical and barriers and systemic injustices that um, they faced. Growing up in poverty really shaped my understanding of who I was as an individual and what I was allowed to say. And, you know, I remember growing up at the time, I didn't really think much of it. You just think of it as you're just living, or you're just trying to exist. Um, you know, I lived in affordable housing. My parents, uh, my dad was a gardener. My mom would collect cans to recycle. Um, LA was a very multicultural city. And so I really grew up in this cultural pot of obviously as many immigrants coming from different countries. And I recognized my interest for the environment didn't really start um, when I was that young. I would say maybe in middle school, it started to begin as a conversation of like, you know, I know that my parents would take me out on the weekends. My parents would talk to me about 
um, the farmlands that they grew up in Mexico and like what ended up happening. And I started to realize, um, you know, what does global warming mean back then it was introduced. And this is like the year 2007, 2006. I mean, I was only 12 or 11 years old. And I started to think, hmm, I really like the environment, but I don't really know what that really means. And that's when I started to realize that as climate disasters were striking Los Angeles, like the wildfire seasons here in LA got worse. I started to recognize that these are really real impacts and real stories that are happening right now. Yeah, especially today, as I mentioned, you know, in um, between New York and, and also Toronto. So, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I know that you are spreading the wisdom and education about our environment through social media and you have quite a few followers and you are also a very sought after public speaker as well in this area. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what you're up to and uh, about your work on uh, as a social media content creator? Yeah, absolutely. So I attended UC Berkeley and studied environmental science. I decided to study environmental science because my framework was under the impression that in order to save the planet, you need to major and and specialize in that. And that was such a, a wrong assumption to have at the time when I was only 18. And after I graduated college in 2018, I got rejected from all the environmental nonprofits that you can think of. Um, for digital media or strategy roles. And so I created my account and the moniker Queer Brown Vegan in 2019 under the impression that I just wanted to educate people on climate issues, defining really basic terminology of like, what is climate change? What is veganism? What is queerness? What is queer ecology? Um, these are all questions I just wanted to really talk about on social media using Instagram and TikTok. Eventually, that later evolved and years later, and I grew a large audience, thankfully, of over 150,000 within all combined platforms, not just one platform, but all platforms combined um, over that. And it was really a huge shock to me because I didn't realize that so many people are craving environmental and climate education through non-institutional forms of knowledge. And I think one of the things that really brings my audience to my page or their curiosity is that I do cover a multitudes of different subjects that are not just singular on educating you of how to explain global warming. I try to really relate it back to the individual, um, to spirituality, to mythology, to the ideas of how we think as a society, because I don't think that everyone wants to learn about climate change to that extent. Some people want to know what can they do in their daily life to change it. And so since then, I really have been going into producing um, independent media products, projects that are focused on highlighting the works of grassroots leaders and environmental activists and creating my own independent TV media show because um, that is the goal. And I recognize that I want to, I'm learning how to produce, how to edit, how to um, script things, how to fundraise for things. And recognizing doing everything very independent um, by yourself can be very isolating, but it's also very um, fruitful to have that experience. Well, thank you, Isaiah, for sharing that. You know, coming from a background of being an independent filmmaker, I absolutely uh, can um, empathize on, you know, how much work that takes, and it really takes a village, you know. Of course, you know, we do a lot of the dirty work, but we also, uh, you know, need a lot of support, you know, um, to to help us um, produce um, the the projects that we want to do, so I really really uh, congratulate you and kudos to you, you know, for 
um, living your passion. So, you know, what? Uh, one of the things that um, drew me uh, drew me to you is um, the fact that you call yourself a gay environmentalist. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why is it important to come out, you know, uh, as, as gay uh, when you're talking about the environment that doesn't have a gender or uh, sexuality for that matter? Yeah, because I think the importance of being able to showcase my identity through nature is recognizing that there is no such thing as perfectionism and there is no such thing as unnatural in an unnatural world, right? We live in a naturally unnatural state, but we do not live in an unnatural world. And I think for a lot of people, we've been really constructed by binary type of thinking of this is natural, this is not, you're not natural. And the ways in which that has been classified isn't through a human supremacy lens, but more so a white supremacist type of lens. Because if we remember that settler colonialism in the global North countries um, displaced many indigenous communities, it categorized and tried to put people in boxes for what they were based on the colonial ideology. And I think for me, um, as a queer person of color, just being honest and authentic to myself was seen as a metaphor that, you know, there are existing queer ecology histories that have existed. And there are people who are gay, trans, lesbian, non-binary, femmes, like that have always been a part of the environment. And to say that they're not part of the environment because they're unnatural is to contribute to otherization. And that is to contribute to the degradation of the planet because the idea of protecting the planet um, indigenous leader in the Monte Aquino said this, um, that you're not trying to protect the planet, you need to have reverence for and having reverence and deep respect for the living systems that it meet, that are here means you're having respect for my identity, my values, just as much as those that are straight and also navigating the world to protect the planet. Wow, I love that. I really love that. It's It's so true that reverence you know, not just for the planet, but for each other, right? For for who we are, and and um, you know, as we, you know, it's not in mainstream science, but uh, as we know, you know, there are um, you know, queer behaviors between uh, animals or plants, you know, for that matter. We have intersex animals too, you know, those who can self-produce on its own, you know, <laughs> you know, the hermaphrodites, right? So. Yeah. What is natural and what is an unnatural? I just love, you know, how you you put that, and um, and also to to remind uh, um, people, you know, to question, you know, what is the norm and and what is accepted or you know or not accepted. So so thank you again for putting yourself out there. Um, so tell me, um, what's the uh, reception that you've had, you know, ever since you've used that. Uh, title for yourself like what kinds of uh responses do you have from you know different different uh people yeah i think it depends on the certain group um i think from a marketing and branding perspective a lot of people say that's a very creative username queer brown vegan because it flows really well and i think that's just like the creative marketing behind my my brain but i think when it comes to um different groups i think like in lgbt spaces they're like okay, I get the, you know, you're a queer person of color, but you're vegan. Like, what is that? How does that relate? Or um, I'm in POC spaces that are just talking about, you know, race issues. And they're like, you're vegan and 
you're queer. Like, let's talk about that. Or if I'm in vegan spaces and animal rights spaces, they're like, why does queerness matter? Why does your race matter? So I, I do think that there's a lot of, I live within the contradictions of what a lot of um, people expect from me. And I think the last assumption is just generally that people think I'm an influencer that has no knowledge or no background or experience. And I do think that comes from um, elitism, white supremacy, racism, um, homophobia. Um, and these are all things that really do um, shape the way that people determine my intelligence or the way that I'm worth. And that has been a very unique journey for me because I feel that even if I show up who I am, my existence will always be threatened by an individual who always would feel uncomfortable around me just because I am existing next to them. So you have to, you have to make yourself heard and seen, right? Just like, uh, you know, most of us uh, who, who are queer. And I mean, for, for myself, you know, I'm very visible because of the way I look, you know, but some people don't look, you know, a certain way. And, and uh, they, they just have assumptions of who you are. And even with myself, you know, with the way I, I look, people make assumptions about me too, you know? So un yeah. until I explain or, or say something about it, you know, they, they may not uh, get it. So I totally see and hear you loud and clear in that regard. So um, personal question, if, if I may. Uh, what's your choice? Uh, what you know uh, uh, behind be becoming a a vegan? Like what what's the uh, reason behind that? You know, I'm, I myself I'm a I'm a, a vegetarian for for the most part, uh, but I can say that I probably can call myself a pescatarian as well because I do eat a bit of seafood, yeah. um, but mostly vegetarian. So what what is your reason behind queer brown brown vegan? Yeah, uh, other than just the the, the catchy name. <laughs> yeah, I think with the veganism component, which is interesting, because I usually tell people like veganism is not an identity in terms of your race or your sexuality. It's more of a cultural value or a religious value, you can say, or philosophical um, philosophy value. And I think on my end, I went vegan near the end of college because I really. Um, had a really hard time trying to understand the ways in which animals are grown in the global north system in a very industrialized setting. I mean, I think one of the honest and transparent conversations I have as a vegan is that I rely on heavily on an industrialized food system that is still mm -hmm. unsustainable. I rely and contribute to the oppression of many undocumented farm workers who still pick my produce. But I also think that as an individual who has the economic privilege for being able to obtain a degree and have a, a salary now, um, I do have the economic privilege to say no to exploitative institutions such as the meat industry that have destroyed my community, but has destroyed communities um, cultures in the land um, and has also consolidated the power in which small farmers can have. And so for me, I saw veganism as a way to divest from an exploitative institution from both the environmental lens, animal lens, human lens. And so my work today is really focused on how do we talk about human liberation and, and animal liberation together, not to say that they are exactly the same, but to say that they fall under the oppression of white supremacy um, on that end with speciesism and racism being tangential to those subjects. And I think on my end, veganism isn't the solution. It may be a part of a solution, but I also recognize that there's a lot of limitations and um, restrictions that a lot of people 
um, live by. And I think, you know, on my end, I have friends who are pescatarian, my best friend's pescatarian. Um, you know, I think with a lot of environmentalists today, they are very um, afraid to post anything meat or dairy related on their stories because they think environmentalists will rip them apart. And I would say that as a vegan, I do have the privilege to navigate that with grace because I know that I'll never eat any animal in, in my entire life. I've been vegan for six years, but it is very interesting to see that um, veganism for me was a way to kind of extend myself more towards a compassionate liberation lens. But it's not to say those who are not vegan are not compassionate either. It's just the way that I wanted to navigate life was to extend myself through that way. Other people may be doing other work that extends it in a unique way um, for their values is to still consume um, animals. But for me, it was to not consume animals. So I, I think um, to each their own and also respecting that I never talk about veganism towards specifically rural indigenous communities that don't have access to these types of industrialized food markets. Right. You are so well-spoken, you know, I have so much respect for youth like yourself, you know, um, who is so well, um, you know, educated and also informed and, and you know, you have such, uh, you know, amazing, you know, values that you're sharing with, uh, uh, you know, the world at large, especially, you know, your own generation, because I think, you know, um, a lot of uh, a lot of people are looking for guidance for direction, you know, when it comes to all these very complex uh, issues in the world today. So um, so let me ask you about uh, how does your work as a uh, queer environmentalist, um, you know, you know, play into your spirituality? What is your 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 spiritual background, if you don't mind talking yeah. about that? Um, you know, I think it's very interesting because I think with queerness, it's always been a type of an occult for me. It's something that has drawn me in. I think as someone that grew up in a religious conservative household um, that was very influenced by Catholicism and traditional parents, um, I was very indoctrinated to believe that the only type of love that exists is man and woman. And as someone that really battled in my younger years as a teenager to say, oh, these feelings are wrong because they don't follow the same Bible rules, but yet seeing allegations of harassment um, with older men harassing children, I started to recognize there is something that is not truly being told here. Is it really I'm the issue that I'm the one that's saying I like guys that are my years as a teenage boy? Or is the the older man who's touching kids inappropriately um, the main issue here right or abusing children and so i think for myself when i left catholicism it was because i didn't really agree with a lot of the point view systems of how um it upholds global capital structures but how much everything has been almost rewritten and redesigned into a way to almost oppress the marginalized communities like black brown people of color um to um impress women to oppress queer and trans people um, and to reinforce this ideology of men and sexism. And I think that's something that really turned me off from the dominant religion of Catholicism. And so when I was in college, I was very interested in just exploring um, this idea of the dark side, but not so much this idea of evil energy or this idea of hurting anyone like that. I think 
um, in our in our system today and who we are as individuals, we have both light and darkness that exist that coexist within within us, right? There's days that that darkness comes out to be explored within the depths of the horror, but then there's also the light that shines so much bright on us that also harms us at times. And so I think for me, um, exper experimenting with um, Satanism wasn't just about, you know, the devil or other things like that. In fact, you know, one thing I always tell people is that Satanism was never um, about um, a certain religion. It's, it's instead it has different interpretations and values and um, the ways in which I practiced that wasn't so much of any rituals, anything like that. It was more about understanding the fact that um, I believe that people um, who give birth should have autonomy over their bodies. I believe that queer and trans communities should be able to liberate themselves and be able to feel safe. Um, these are some of the common values of what you, what um, dominant religious structures like Catholicism and Christianity painted Satanism to be. Um, and so when I was in college, I really felt that I got to really express myself um, and write truly how I was feeling um, as someone that was queer, that parents did not accept and was struggling to keep myself really alive in academia while being oppressed in the same systems and recognizing that um, Satanism was, for me was a way to lean into that um, darkness of where I felt safe and where I felt I was able to write a lot of the things that I was not able to express um, verbally. And I think that really guided me to understand the unknown and to to be okay with the unknown, to be okay with uncertainty um, and to be okay to feel that you don't feel okay. And I think that took a long time for me to recognize throughout those four years in college. Um, but eventually I, I, I left that religious um, structure, not because of certain things, but just because I was a point where I said, I don't really um, agree with everything as much either. And I think that I wanted to really attach with this idea of having no labels when it comes to spirituality, because spirituality to me is a practice and a praxis, right? The idea of embodying those actions. And for me, knowing the fact that I value life, I value family, I value culture, I value species, um, that itself is an earth declara declaration of a birthright to me. And that's something that I wanted to hold. Right, right. So, um, so what, what's, what would, how would you, how would you describe your spirituality today, uh, in relation to the work you do, uh, by loving Mother Earth and uh, everything and everyone that she um, embraces. Yeah, I think um, I pull a lot from different religious um, values and identities. I mean, to this day, I do pull a bit from Catholicism, um, some from Satanism, from Buddhism, some from um, Druid Druidism or Druidry. Um, I think it all shares common goals of being a better human being, right? Like bettering a better individual for society and for yourself. And the ways in which that's really been shown in my work is really practicing the main concept of interconnectedness and sacredness and um, mindfulness. I think mindfulness has been so helpful for me as an individual that is often running um, from place to place, from conference to conference, or doing extreme amounts of work and recognizing that in order to ensure the protection of the planet, I need to protect myself. 
And that really looks into incorporating spiritual-based practices in my life, such as meditation, sleeping, eating on time, having more fruits and vegetables as snacks, um, talking to people, talking to animals. These are all very simple things that humans can abide to and recognizing um, how to divest away from exploitative and sometimes um, over-consumerist lifestyles that allow us to continue to feel empty and hungry when in reality, I have enough already um, in my plate to be able to continue on with this movement. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you that question about uh, about self-care, you yeah. know? Like, how do you, you know, what what is your go-to for, for taking care of yourself, you know, for, for all the work that you're putting out there and all the energy that you're putting out there to do the work that you do. Yeah. Did you want to add anything um, on top of that? Yeah. I mean, I think I would like to say like, I was actually um, in Vancouver last week for another event, but I was in, I went to a retreat on Hollyhock Island and in and, and Cortez Island. Um, it's off of Vancouver. And um, for me, what was really unique about this trip it's, it's specifically um, was that I was really able to remind myself of practices that I had lost because it was a silent retreat um, in which we meditated, we slept, we napped, we listened to music, we wrote a lot and just did not focus on our phones, did not focus on what the careers were doing. And it really reminded me that I thought I had lost myself for some time the last three years since doing social media and recognizing all of these things were done before. When I was younger, when I was in college, I just forgot how to incorporate them back into my life. And so since then, those practices look more into sleeping early, eating, like I said, um, going on walks, looking at the earth, talking to the earth, connecting with friends, laughing. These are all simple human and animal emotions that are expressed in our society. And why was that being lost? Because I was so ingrained in saying that my only productivity and my success is work is um, dependent on the work I produce. And my health was deteriorating the last four years. And I recognize that once your health is gone, no one really cares. If you're, if, if you're sick, no one will check in on you. And so I had to recognize it's time for me to ensure my well-being is great and that I'm able to also be there for others. Yes, that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. And and I wish I caught you when you were here in Vancouver. <laughs> you know, we were neighbors. I mean, I'm on, you know, the mainland side of Vancouver, but uh, it's good to know that you were in town. But, you know, you know, health is the, you know, health is the only wealth we truly have, you know, from a, a place of, uh, you know, spirituality, we, you know, we know that the, the real wealth is our health because without that, without our well-being, you know, nothing can be done and uh, uh, nothing can be seen, you know, because we're probably hiding under our blankets if we're not well, right? Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. I And I totally agree that a lot of the, the self-care, uh, practical tools and, and um ways of living we actually already knew you know when we were kids yeah. you know i you know when when i started on my um spiritual journey my spiritual awakening you know in on my journey of becoming a healer um i reminded myself of, of things that i already knew when i was a kid you know questions that i asked 
you know, about why am I here? <laughs> Where did I come from? You know, you know, those questions when I asked um, when I was a kid were the same questions when um, that I, were, I was uh, asking myself when I had this spiritual awakening, which was 10 years ago, that, uh, um, you know, uh, set me off on this, on, on this journey and path of becoming a spiritual healer. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so what, what are the festivals, if you do, have um, in, in your life that you, um, you celebrate with your family, with your loved ones, your community, that also, you know, ties into your uh, spirituality? Yeah, um, I think being Mexican is a very unique and complex identity because I think one thing I always tell people, um, and not not you, of course, but like Mexican is in a race and it's a it's a cultural identity and it's a um, geographic location that was still built on colonization. And so the idea of what Mexican heritage or Latino heritage in Mexico looks like is, is very um, inspired and built with and on top of indigenous cultures. Um, as someone that, you know, my half my family is um, Spaniard, settler colonialism, and my other half of my family um, were indigenous. So like, you know, of course, as someone that does have still light skin privilege, um, still navigates the world as a brown person, um, it's been a very unique experience to be able to learn exclusively about, you know, the things that my parents grew up in, but also giving credit to where it's due. I mean, Dia de Muertos or Day of the Dead. Um, is a really um, monumental and very unique time in which you build a shrine um, for those who have passed away in the afterlife and you make the bread to commemorate um, their souls and their spirits for them to be able to enjoy it um, and wherever they may be. And I felt that as a young kid, I was always, I always loved it because I think the ways in which um, Global North or like the um, wh white American culture depicts death is a very scary um, displacing time, um, very traumatic time. But for a lot of people, um, recognizing that the reason why death is so scary today is that um, elders are isolated from their families. Um, in my culture, our families stick together until the day they die. I mean, as much as I can say I disagree with some of the way my parents treated me growing up, um, I wouldn't leave them. Um, I know that they're going to be with me until they pass away in their older years. And recognizing that Day of the Dead was a way for people to celebrate the the um, past life of that individual, and to me, I see that as true reverence and true true connection because that means you're honoring that person in your mind, in your actions, and in in, in your home. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, if I've heard about that. Uh, festival, you know, way back. And, and, you know, I come from a Chinese um, uh, background, and uh, we have a similar festival like that as well. Every year we honor the, you know, the dead, you know, we would, um, again, also bring offerings like food and, oh. and flowers and incense. And also, it's very, very much part of my culture as well. Um, and, um, and we, we do, I mean, from from a Buddhist uh, tradition, which is what I come from, uh, belief in afterlife as well. So it's very, very similar in that regard. And so how would you say that, uh, um, you know, is, is connected to, to your environmentalism, you know, about, you know, this life not being limited to this physical existence? 
Yeah, I mean, I look back to this idea of our species, right? Um, we laugh, we laugh at adults that talk to trees or hug trees or talk to animals, but that's all part of life. That's normal in terms of the ways in which we interact. Because I think on my end, what I tell people is that um, you like trees can hear us. Um, the roots underground can hear the footsteps. Animals can know when. Um, things are going wrong or they need to protect themselves. So why is it that children are very deeply interconnected um, to playing with the earth? And I mean, like as a kid myself, I love to touch dirt. I love to put my hands in the grass. Like I love to be able to just to smell fresh air and put my head against a tree and to talk to it. Now, those are types of ecological memories that are being lost today. And I think with the climate crisis, um, it's related to all the crises we are, right? Because everything is interconnected, like from spirituality to education um, to resources. And I, I try to really remember myself as um, doing this work means recognizing that a lot of people feel empty and hollow inside when they're not, right? We all know that there's a new type of system that is forming in their hearts. But I do think that spirituality plays a huge role in order for us to continue grounding ourselves um, in doing the work that we need to do. Because I think there is a, there's a moment where you can say, yes, logically and physically, you can maybe figure things out. But there's things with spirituality that I feel that um, it's for the mind. It's mind care, right? Anyone can go to get a spa or massage and be like, I feel healed because I got physically massage and I think for a lot of us we don't practice that spiritual side because that's either been forgotten that's been erased or that's been severed in some people's um, cultural identities but I, I think for myself I really like that spiritual work because it really allows me to de um, to process everything that has been going on yeah well um, you know the in, in the in the work that I do as, as a healer uh, I actually you, you know became reconnected to this the spirituality that I've actually actually come from, which is the existence of the spirit, of the soul. You know? So you were talking about um, you know, connecting to like the flowers, the plants, the animals, you know, and they all have a consciousness, right? And yeah. so the spirit the spirit is I think what um in my, you know, humble opinion, is is what humanity has getting um, has gotten disconnected from, that true essence within, and we forget that everyone and everything else also has that spirit, and um, including Mother Earth and the plants and the animals that uh, we we got too, um, I would say, caught up with our own minds, yeah. you know. So, so, you know, in, in the work that I do as a healer, we are actually trying to um, reconnect ourselves with spirit and also tap into the power of our spirit, which we call the power of soul. So um, I, I think by, by reconnecting ourselves with, with Mother Earth and, as you said, you know, with plants and animals, it, it is one of the ways that we can reconnect uh, with our spirit and the power we we all have within, you know, in 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 each other as well. Exactly, and I think, um, you know, the idea of people finding their roles in life. Like some people are frontline um, activists, some people are hope keepers, some people are healers, some people are resource builders. 
um, there are different roles in which we really um, tap into in different ways. And I think that's what is the beauty of this diverse world is that we just don't know what we'll fall into. And I think that's something that we all need to explore. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you, you know, because as an environmentalist, you know, um, most most of the, the stories that we need read in media are, are, you know, stories of alarm, right, of bad news, yeah. of like, you know, how the whole world is going down the drain, you know. And so, like, how do you how do you um, advise people, especially young people, uh, to cope with the kind of uh, stress and anxiety of, of climate action and climate change and everything else that's happening in the world, um, you know, on the uh, environmental side of things? Yeah, I think in Global North countries, we, we've kind of put this shame culture when people don't want to read the news because of their mental health of like, oh, did you hear that? Um, this person was unalive. Did you hear that this environment's destroyed? Did you hear what's happening with government? It's like, I think um, there is obviously, um, there should be criticism for inaction when someone, people from privilege are not doing anything, but there's also should not be shame for those who are just trying to even survive to get to their next paycheck or trying to feel, feed their child or try to even afford school and finish school on time. Like these are real stressors that people face. And I feel that um, you know, shifting from a problem identification mindset to a solutions oriented mindset is probably the most powerful thing to think of and to really start to think more about local activism. Because I think, you know, for a lot of us, I'm not going to be a U.S. politician. That's not my trajectory. A lot of people tell me to go into politics. And I said, no, I'll probably have gray hair, um, all platinum by 30 um, by the stress that, you know, U.S. representatives would give me. But it, it's really honestly to me like... Um, a ways in which individuals can express themselves and to um, really reorient themselves of how what power they can give because the idea of consuming global news of like this happened in Russia, this happened um, in Ukraine, this is happening um, in Asia, this is happening in Africa, like it is so much for a young person to sometimes be consuming that media yeah. so fast within 24 hours that the body cannot handle it and that re results in an inflammatory response. So I think on that end, it's about really looking about the ways that you can do change. And that starts with obviously the individual, but more community. And that's something I wish I could have done more now than realizing doing this global work has really taken a lot of energy out of me um, because there's times where it's like, you have to do this interview, you have to go here, you have to travel there, you have to finish this. And it's like, wow, everything's moving so fast. And I just didn't know where to process or where to rest. Yes, I can only imagine because you, you are so sought after these days. Um, so how do you find that balance? So was that retreat that you went to Vancouver for part of that balance that you've been looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think it really reoriented um, myself as an individual. I think one of the biggest things I was struggling the last few few years, I'd say, is the idea of feeling like, traveling to new countries and new areas I wasn't as invested to make friendships with people just because I recognized that I was already missing out so much of my friends lives here from like weddings to birthday parties um, to movie hangouts like these are things that my friends kind of felt disappointed that I wasn't being there because I had to travel internationally and not to say that they hated me or they didn't want to be my friend they were just disappointed 
um, and this retreat really, really galvanized me to just to say, like, you know, when I'm traveling, I'm never alone. Home is always with me. Like, home is in the heart. Home is in every step I take. And I, I started to reflect more and more is that I've always been a people person. I love to connect with people. I love to ask them questions about their life because I've always been very curious to know about what they do. And I feel like a lot of people don't um, always recognize that. Mm-hmm. So outside of your work, you know, what, what, what drives you? What, what is uh, your go-to, you know, for relaxing or maybe leisure entertainment? I think, um, you know, some of the things I've been practicing now when I travel is just to go on random walks for 30 minutes with no um, headphones. Of course, I have my phone with me, but put it away and just walk and look at the structures, look at the people, look at the animals, look at the land. Like, I, I think I've become more of an observer um, because a lot of times I'm really forced to do public speaking or be there. And it's like it's like a theater performance. And you come back, you're like, I really need to reset myself. Um, and those are some of the things I've done fun. But the other thing is I adopted a dog recently um, and I and I play with him. I got him last week and he's been really um, a huge game changer in my life. And I think we both coexist with each other and there's a lot of things we've been learning. And that's been really grateful um, to experience that. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> What's her name or his name or its name? Yeah, or their his- name. Yeah, no, absolutely. His name is um, Tucker. He's a Tucker. very small, small white Maltese dog. He's like only six, seven pounds. He's really small. Oh, Tucker has a has a. He, he, Tucker is very lucky to have you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we came into each other's lives together. Oh, that's so sweet. So tell 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 us what what's your um like your biggest motivation for your work like you know behind your work what what do you what do you try to accomplish out of it i think the biggest thing and the biggest proudest moments of my work is that i was able to do this like not alone i'm not self made but grassroots of i don't come from money i don't come from nepotism i don't come from much resources of course i do have privilege living in the United States and getting a degree, of course, that's a huge, immense privilege. But I think being myself has allowed me to stay sustainable in this movement or to be known in this space just because I exist of who I am. I think, um, you know, that's something that I feel like just being myself and being able to connect with people without assuming anything or without, you know, expecting anything from anyone that has laid the groundwork to people to know who I am. And I think a lot of the times um, people don't know how tall I am because they see me on social media and I'm 6'2", which is really funny because a lot of people who see me, they're like, I did not know you were that tall. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really post as much photos as I used to um, back in the day. But yeah, I did a lot. I was taking a lot of photos and was very tall, um, and like very stylish and then just really became who I wanted to be and someone more comfortable. Right. So so with your... Um with your work like what what is the response that you've received from people and and again what what's your main message that that you want to bring to the world through your work yeah my main message i want to bring to the world is that um i want to teach young black brown people of color that you have the power to create your story and you should not wait for someone else to do it for you or someone else to co-opt your messaging you should be able to inspire yourself and connect with mentors and older people 
who are doing this work. And I think some of the messages I really like is sometimes the days I just feel really bad and don't feel like I'm making impact is those comments of people saying, you changed my life. And it's like, wow, sometimes they don't really think that. I just think I'm just here alone in myself or um, other people just telling me like, you know, it's honestly such um, a, like, you know, you are someone I look up to in this space as someone that I could know that the career, what I'm doing now is inspired by you. And it makes me really happy because I think younger Isaiah's always dreamed of like, you know, wanting to get a TV show um, and being a media host on that geo or discovery channel. And I said, no, they'll never take a Brown person or someone who's queer or someone who's weird. Like they, they only take the white smart individual people. They're the ones who are the experts, not me, but I think being able to do this through a grassroots and independent lens of like, look, I don't come from connections or money. Um, I've had to really struggle to learn a lot of the things I am doing today has made me really proud that I want to share this information to younger people because I don't think they should take longer than me to figure these things out. Like I'm figuring them out by myself. And that's because I, it was really hard for me to ask for help because there was no one to ask to. And so for me to provide mentorship as I get older in this movement is honestly a blessing and it's also a privilege. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, it, it's so real and so candid, you know, because and I can absolutely um, empathize with that because I started out that way myself as a queer filmmaker. You know, I and this is back in the 90s when there was no uh, stories being told about, you know, the um um, lesbians and and queers um, back in the day in Japan, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got started. Also, is that um, nobody else is telling my story, so I have to do that. And this is again uh, before even the age of social media. So you know, so um, so your your story, your message really really resonates with me. And uh, and it was also the people who saw the films that I made who came to me and said that uh, it, it meant a lot to them that really um, helped me continue, you know, in, in, uh, in my career as a, as a filmmaker, a queer filmmaker back in the day. So again, I know it takes a lot of courage and a lot of uh, energy and time and all that. So I, I really want to congratulate you for, you know, the passion that you have and, um, you know, doing the work that you do, because I know it's not easy. It's not easy, even though we come from different fields. Um, but in, in the world of um, of media, especially, as you said, you know, as a BIPOC, you know, and for me back then, it was as a as a woman, as a, as a lesbian, nobody wanted to, <laughs> to, to, to hear you out, you know. So so um, so what's the next best, best uh, big thing now for you? Yeah, um, I think on my end, I'm celebrating six months sober free. Um, I don't really drink much the last three years since I, I think I stopped drinking heavily once I was 23. Um, really, I really um, decided to take a sober free lifestyle. Um, and it's really been a huge game changer. Um, but I'm working right now on a book proposal, which I'm just revising one of the chapters because we're pitching to publishers in the fall. So hopefully this has been three years in the process of writing this proposal. Um, I'll finally, hopefully we'll get a book offer um, from a publisher. I'm hoping that it gets picked up. And the other thing is just that I'm going to 
um, really work on more media projects that are independently produced and hopefully get more funding for that. And that just takes time, but working on new series. Right. So have you have you done your, your own web series yet? I mean, you know, anyone can do that on, on YouTube. Um, I am technically building it out. So the two series I'm building right now, one is called Teaching Climate Together that pairs me up with grassroots activists or environmental scholars that talk about climate terminology. And we sometimes create a whole episode about the idea of the term, but more about like the ways in which they do research and how we interact. And the other one is called the Sustainable Job Series, where it goes into climate-friendly related industries. And we go in for a day and try to work at a sustainable company and see how that works. And that's been really um, amazing to see that. So, the, so that those are in development right now? Um, yes. Yeah, so the first one for our first episode is out um, oh. released last month. Great. Uh, made with a $4,000, $5,000 budget, but it was something that I felt really proud to say I did that. And obviously don't come from a director or producer experience, but I'm a host and I know how to kind of host. So it was really amazing to do that. Oh, so it's on your YouTube channel? Yes, yes. That we can check out. Well, so everybody go check it out. I'm going to go check it out myself. I didn't know about this. So congratulations with for uh, you know on that. That's, that's great. And so um, how many how many are you planning to do like um, on what basis? Um, you know, I'm just going to continue doing them until I get hopefully a TV show. Um, that's really the goal to build my portfolio out and knowing the fact that, you know, I'm not special. I'm, you know, sometimes I'm just going to have to produce things and continue producing even if I don't get it. But I know that in the future, I will get a TV show. And I think it'll be very successful. I think right now I'm in a building era. And I think I'm building things for myself. So I have the full autonomy to have full rights over that work that I produce. Right, right. Well, good for you. I can't wait to, to see more and, and uh, definitely would love to have you back, you know, yeah. when you when you have your uh, book, uh, especially, you know, coming out and, um, and, and also future shows. So thank you so much, I'd say, for your time today. Do you have any final words, you know, for our lovely people out there um, to encourage them to learn more about uh, gay environmentalism and what they can do, you know, for themselves to help Mother Earth go through this very, very tough period? Yeah, continue to sustainably love yourself and create that circular relationship with the land because the more that you're connected to yourself, the more that you can help connect with others and the more love that will prevail from this very, you know, unfortunate times of hatred that is being perpetuated um, in global North countries and everywhere. But there is love that exists. That's a higher power level um, that cannot um, be defeated. Yes. And that's why I have also created this show which is to bring more love and more light to this world so thank you again isaiah for joining us today you know check um him out uh we will post uh his his youtube and his uh you're on facebook and and also on instagram all his socials you know follow isaiah's his work is so important um the love the light the wisdom that isaiah brings to us. So thank you again, Isaiah. And I will see you again soon, hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, of course. So, we want to meet up. so I'm going to close the show and I'll be right back. Mm -hmm.
So thank you so much, everybody, for joining this episode with the fabulous Isaiah. Please check his work out and support him when you can. And this is Desiree signing out from Queer Love Light. Till we meet again, be queer, be love, and be the light that the world needs. Bye now.